The following is a presentation of WAER Sports, the original home of the Orangemen. Floyd Little was my fraternity brother. In fact, the very first football game my freshman year at the old Archibald Stadium was Syracuse against Kansas. It was Floyd Little against uh, Gale Sayers. And Floyd, uh, he just scored five or six touchdowns, and it was just unbelievable, and Syracuse won. They do so in a day littered with questions. They're on their way to the quarterfinals if it happens on one of the wackiest days that you can possibly remember. But fans, due to unforeseen circumstances, the game tonight has been postponed. You are all safe. The sports world has come to a screeching halt. The league has made a decision to end this year's Atlantic Coast Conference men's basketball tournament. Hop, let's stay safe. Let's stay safe, Jack. From WAER Sports, this is Talkback. I'm Cooper Boardman. How do you push forward? It's an important question, especially now. The growing sentiment is that people are just sick of it all. They're sick of Twitter, they're sick of plans, and they're sick of curves. Parts of this country have finally creaked awake for the first time in weeks. Other parts stay shuttered. And although we all have different mindsets and different timelines, this is a collective experience. The differences are minor in the overall picture. And after this is over, the bond will be collective. So it's worth looking back to times that were shared in the past and what a unified experience can create. This week, we'll talk with three WAER alums from three separate decades. Len Berman, class of 1968, Tim Benz, 1996, and Kevin Brown from 2011. All three had a Syracuse and in turn a WAER experience. All three of those experiences looked a little bit different. It's also a time shared by those of us who make this podcast. Today, it's a look into what makes shared experience so vital to a community and the strength that can come from it. First, though, a reminder, subscribe to Talk Back on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at WAER Sports and on SoundCloud, just search WAER. That's the voice of Len Berman. He's an eight-time Emmy Award winner and a WAER alum. Berman graduated in 1968. He went on to work at NBC. He wrote a best-selling book, and he even called some of the Big East's biggest moments. Syracuse, the last shot. Washington, two seconds. Now Len hosts a morning talk show on WOR in New York City. He's watched the news and sports industry grow from cutting film strips to now. And it all started in Syracuse for him. Here's WAER's Corey Berberian. And with WAER, obviously such a huge following amongst people in Syracuse getting to travel to those road games. Any specific road game 
memories in terms of actually traveling to those games? Well, yeah, I have a terrible memory. Um, I would drive to the game uh, as uh, by myself and uh, hook up the equipment and broadcast back. You know, we, we didn't carry an engineer with us. Maybe you do nowadays. But <laughs> no, I, we, I, we, we do not. Up. It's all ourselves. Yeah, so you hook up this box, and, and we didn't even have a telephone. Now, do you guys can you guys afford a telephone for, for courtside? Back in the day, we didn't have a telephone, so I, what I would do was run out to the payphone and start my stopwatch, and then the rest of the broadcast went from there. And, uh, and, and I remember one time I was doing a Syracuse game at St. John's Alumni Hall, and I brought my uncle along to sit next to me. And he kept pestering me during the game. He said, well, how do you know this is going on the air? And I said, oh, this would, you know, they would call me. They would tell me if it wasn't on radio. Because all I had was I, I ran to the phone, started my stopwatch, and the rest of the broadcast went from there. You know, we time halftime to a certain number of minutes. The, we didn't have commercials because we were a commercial-free station, but we would have public service announcements, and they would all be timed from the stopwatch. So I got back to Syracuse. And I remember the engineer said, and I brought back the equipment. You know, I had a box to plug in, and I got back to Syracuse. And the engineer said, did everything go okay with the broadcast until the uh, transmitter blew? And I said, well, when did the transmitter blow? And they said, right before the opening tip. I had announced the entire game to myself. And it was one of my best broadcasts. No one could ever point to anything I got wrong. It was great. (laughs) Every WAER alum has that kind of story bubblegum, duct tape, and still this one goal, and that's putting together a professional broadcast. There's a sense of purpose, because everyone's trying to get to that next level. The details of how you make it have changed, the equipment changes with each generation, but the constant factor is the process of getting better with those around you. Tim Benz has been through it too. The 1996 SU grad is the pregame radio host for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was also the sideline reporter on the broadcast for Super Bowl 43 between the Steelers and the Cardinals. I mean, kind of highlight ones for me, um, everybody teases me about it whenever and you see it a ton, there's no real sports to watch anymore, so everybody's watching where you watch games. Roethlisberger, last time. Um, when San Antonio Holmes caught the touchdown to beat the Arizona Cardinals in Super Bowl 43 in Tampa. Goes to the back of the end zone and it is... Next set of human hands that would have touched that ball if it went off his fingertips were mine. Like I was right there. And you can see me in the background pointing to San Antonio. And it was like you were the extra ref on the field. You sold the call from Steelers. Where's your ring? I'm still waiting for it, by the way. Mr. Rooney's never gotten back in touch with me about that. Tim, let us know. In addition to his time with the Steelers, Benz has worked in Boston, Salt Lake City, and Columbus before eventually moving back home to the Steel City. Here's WAER's Marcus Gronauer. What was AER like back when you were there? Um, physically, back when I was there, it was in Newhouse 2 on the top floor. Uh, that's physically how it was different. Uh, it was also different in the sense that everything was still wire and razor blades and tape to um, edit your stuff together. So it was a very different approach. There was no digital editing at the time or barely any digital editing for radio. There obviously was some for television, but barely any at all for radio. I mean, my resume tape was all done reel-to-reel with uh, tape and razor blades. So, I mean, it was pretty old school back then. It was, you know, jazz format with uh, sports updates in the morning and the afternoon. 
Uh, we do play-by-play for lacrosse, basketball, and football. And uh, there was no sports talk show at the time. Unfortunately, that came around, I'd say, about two or three years after I graduated. I would have loved that opportunity. But um, that was that was pretty much it. Uh, I would say the staff was about 12 to 15 guys deep, uh, depending on how big the writer class was that year. It worked for about a year, hopefully got cleared by the time. Uh, lacrosse rolled around or early in your sophomore year, as was the case for me, and then uh, you went on from there. And it's a process, and it's a family we know well. Sports bring people together. It's true during this pandemic, and it's always been true at WAER. Kevin Brown knows that well. A 2011 SU alum, Brown works for ESPN and the Baltimore Orioles. Here's his Syracuse story. When our class got to Syracuse, the football team was nightmarish. My first game as a freshman, Syracuse played Washington. I was fired up. 17-year-old kid coming to college. I painted my chest. I was the U in Go Cues. We got to the game four hours early. We left in the third quarter when Syracuse was down by five scores to Washington. Shortly after, Syracuse had punted on third down. So to get from that place to our senior year when Syracuse was in a bowl game was astonishing. I grew up a huge Yankee fan living on Long Island, and that year was the inaugural pinstripe bowl, and I still remember where I was and with whom I was eating lunch when we found out that Syracuse was going to play in the pinstripe bowl, and that I, as a lifelong Yankee fan, grew up watching games, grew up going to games at the stadium, would get to sit in a booth and call the first ever bowl game at Yankee Stadium, and it was our university, was uh, a thrill that was too good to be true, and, and still to this day seems too good to be true. Syracuse wins the pinstripe bowl 36-34 to over the Kansas State Wildcats. For the first time since 2001, SU wins a postseason game in its first bowl appearance since 2004, and snow rains down from the upper deck of Yankee Stadium as the Origin Wildcats shake hands on the field. Syracuse... And then to top it off, Syracuse won the game by two over Kansas State, 36-34. Um, it was a moment I'll never forget. I'll never forget the players having a little snowball fight after the game. I'll never forget the flea flicker that Syracuse ran, which is a touchdown to Marcus Sales. I will never forget the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, which should not have been called on Kansas State which set up a tying two-point conversion try from the 16. I'll just always remember it. My uh, family back home had the game on, and they paused it on the TV and linked it up to the WAR feed. And it was just a special moment for me. Um, I mean, I got to go back and sleep my own bed after the game and look at my Yankee memorabilia on the wall, having just called a game in Yankee Stadium as a college senior. It was it was just about too good to be true. It's still one of the absolute thrills of, of my life in broadcasting. Those thrills are something we all experience together, whether it's the feeling of a game at Yankee Stadium or the buzz inside the dome. Anyone who's ever stepped foot in a sports arena on game day outside of college radio knows what that's like, whether it's 2020, we hope, 2010, or Len Berman all the way back in 1968. I remember calling... Um... Uh, when I was at AER, we actually called an Eastern Hockey League game out of uh, the War Memorial in Syracuse. And I, I'll never forget, 
it was so much fun. Um, um, the, 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 you only had one small number on the back of the player. So you had no idea who the player was until he skated up past your position at center ice. So if someone started in his own zone skating, and here he comes, and he's still coming, and he's still coming, oh, it's number seven, it's Smith. You know, once he got past you at the, at the red line, you knew who the hell he was. But it was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was a great, you know, a great learning experience. I absolutely, I loved it all. I mean, I uh, I have the fondest memories of uh, of college. And you know, that's how I got involved in broadcasting. Like like all of us, you start out in college. You know, I started at Syracuse as an engineering student, and. Uh, and the radio station was just a lot more fun. Now, having said that, uh, how do you turn that into a career? And there's a lot of luck involved, and I just consider myself very fortunate. And uh, in football, Floyd Little was my fraternity brother. In fact, the very first football game my freshman year at the old Archibald Stadium was Syracuse against Kansas. It was Floyd Little against uh, Gail Sayers. And Floyd, I either scored five or six touchdowns, and it was just unbelievable, and Syracuse won. In fact, when I was there, we did not carry the football games on WAER, so basketball was the big deal. And uh, But we did a lot of programming. In other words, I remember creating a, uh, a quiz show called Batter Up, where dormitories and fraternities would come and answer trivia. And uh, we had call-in shows, and we had all kinds of stuff. But uh, we were always trying to create programming, but it was fun times. I, I, I think... Uh, the most fun times I had in broadcasting were WAER. How about a man who's won Emmys, who's covered the NFL and Major League Baseball, saying that about WAER? It's not so much about the place. It's really about the mindset, a group that pushes to be the best no matter what. In Tim Benz's case, that includes pushing through Mother Nature. Here's Marcus Gronauer. Do you have like any uh, favorite memories from your time at AER? Any good stories or good road trip stories? Anything like that? Oh man, I got a ton. Um, you know, I will always remember when we got stuck in the blizzard of '96, which was a huge snowstorm that hit the east. Uh, John Bloom, myself, Seth Everett, and I think it was Matt Park. We were all stuck in the airport Marriott near uh, the Meadowlands, but we're still going out to the rack to uh, cover Syracuse and Rutgers. And we got there and we barely beat the snowstorm in. We stayed overnight. Uh, we got up to go there the next day and hour by hour, minute by minute, different access ways to uh, the rack for Rutgers. They're being shut down highways and so forth. And uh, there must've been five cars on the road. By the time we got the old AER van, to the parking lot, and I think just as soon as we got to the parking lot, within five minutes of getting the gear out, they canceled the game. Uh, so then we had to go back. They allowed us to go back to the hotel. Uh, you know, there's occasionally a state trooper every couple miles or whatever, but they, they let us get back to the hotel, and then we were stuck there for like two days. And uh, I think all they, all they had for food were cheeseburgers, and then you could drink uh, Heineken, and they had enough to make grasshoppers. So I never want to look at another grasshopper again as long as I live. And everyone's got one of those, too. You push through blizzards, you share hotel rooms, you work late into the night for the group. And even years later, Kevin Brown says those shared experiences don't go away. There was just such an easy camaraderie with that group. Everybody seemed to like everybody else there, there were no bad apples in that group of 12 which is hard to to get sometimes but 
there was a, a level of competition throughout the staff. When you have that many people, you want to be competitive. You, you want to get cleared first and have the best cast spot and do the most games. But it, it was never malicious. And uh, I'm, I'm always pleased about that. I, I think if there's a, a lasting legacy for a class, it's that we really liked each other. We really got along and we really managed to, to push each other at the same time. A couple of weeks ago, Mike Lefko reached out and he said, hey, while we're all stuck here under quarantine, we should all get together and have a, a, a Zoom call. So we did that Thursday over the draft. And it was almost as if we were back in... AER. I mean, nine years had passed since we were all together, since the 12 of us were at least most of us, 10 of the 12 in this case, were all together. And we talked about our lives now, but there was a lot of reminiscing about things back in 2011 and road trips and hotel rooms and games we called and people we knew. And I don't know that I realized until last Thursday just how quickly we were going to fall back into that as a group, but it was wonderful, and it will not be the last of these, I suspect, during this quarantine. It's a bond that doesn't go anywhere, and it's moments like that, moments of togetherness, that push us forward. Here's WAER's Jaron May. What kind of gives you hope during these hard times that we will be able to get through it? Well, first of all, I'm just happy every day that we're healthy. I'm healthy, which is uh, wonderful and, and even a little bit surprising. Not that I have any pre-existing conditions, just that in, in our job, we travel so much. I mean, I was in New Orleans a few days before the conference tournament, and that's a city that was hit very hard. Um, but I was in two cities the week before that and two cities the week before that. So I'm just thankful that I'm healthy, that Brian's healthy. I'm thankful that... My parents and her parents are healthy. My family and her family healthy. So, so every day I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm hopeful, selfishly, because I know we've been doing the right things, and our families and friends have been doing the right things. And, and hopeful maybe isn't necessarily the best word. I'm, I'm thankful, but but I'm glad that people have taken this seriously around us, and I'm hopeful they will continue to do so. Honestly, what what makes me hopeful is the way that ordinary people, and I consider myself in a sense an ordinary person, have handled this. Uh, I live in New York. New York City is the epicenter of this. We hear sirens all the time. They are occasionally on our street, and it's scary. I go out and walk, and 80% of the people are wearing masks. And sometimes I have to play Frogger when I'm out walking my dog and zigzag into the street to avoid coming in close contact with people. Uh, it's it's scary here. But then you have moments where you, you feel your heart swell an extra couple of sizes. Two days ago, Governor Cuomo was on during his morning press conference. He opened a letter from a, a farmer in Kansas whose wife has one lung who found a box of five N95 masks and sent one to New York. Like, that's the kind of story that makes you realize that people, when pushed to their limits, are capable of extraordinary things. 
and being in New York every night at 7 o'clock. We hear people clapping and cheering and yelling and banging cowbells in support of our first responders and our healthcare workers. And it, it, it's only a minute or two, but it inspires you every day. And it makes you realize that we are capable in our darkest moments of immense courage and immense gratitude as well. And I don't think that spirit is going to go away anytime soon. I think now we all realize how good we had it as of two months ago, how many good things there were in our life. And whenever this is over, and scientifically it's going to take some time, but there will be a vaccine at some point, and this will be over. Whenever this is over, I'm hopeful that we will all have gained the right perspective on what we missed during this time. And we're going to be so thankful for everything that we have again. That's my hope. It might sound a little Pollyannish, but I'm an optimist. And I think we are going to learn a lot from this. I, I know I am. I know I look at the world differently than I did two months ago. And I, I think that's for the best. The New York Times has an article this week about those 7 p.m. moments Kevin talked about. It says, quote, For many New Yorkers, the time of coronavirus will be defined by two sounds. One is the ambulance siren shrieking at all hours through deserted streets. The other is its opposite, the nightly 7 o'clock cheer for frontline workers, end quote. That's juxtaposition between two ends of this situation, the loneliness that's been felt in New York City and across the world, but also this moment where a city of 8 million stops and gives a standing ovation. We want to feel a part of something. We want to work for a purpose. That's true across three different decades at WAER, and it's especially important remember right now. Thanks for joining us for our fifth episode. Also, a big thank you to Len Berman, Tim Benz, and Kevin Brown for their time. This was a WAER sports podcast produced by Carl Mogline, along with reporting from Corey Barbarian, Marcus Gronauer, and Jaron May. I'm Cooper Boardman. We'll talk to you next week.